Welcome to the Ascension Podcast. My name is Camille and I'm a life and business coach. This podcast is focused on personal development, spirituality and creating the life we want. I'm really excited today because I've got a good friend of mine on to be as a guest and he's got a very interesting background. I'm going to let him introduce himself in a second. Um, yeah, hope you guys enjoy it. Any questions, feel free to send me a message. And yeah, how's it going, bro? How are you doing? Hey, man, it's doing good, doing good. And over here in the States, we uh just been moving forward with uh, film production and things like that. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matthew Maniac. I am a uh, film writer, director, and producer based in Florida uh, from the United States. Um, I have about eight years of experience making films and uh, TV shows currently in production. I have uh, two feature films and a web series that'll be uh, going up on Amazon Prime this fall. So that's kind of the little byline about me. <laughs> Amazing, man. I mean, obviously everyone sees a lot of film and TV, but it, the behind the scenes of it, the actual workings um, of a director producer is still quite like unknown. So I'm always quite wondering how one actually gets into that field in the first place. Uh, so, I mean, there, there are a bunch of different ways that you can kind of get into it. Um, for me, I kind of just started uh, building my own content. Um, of course, like thinking backyard, Nerf war, short films back in middle school with uh, my friends and my neighbors. Um, those uh, were not great. I took them down off YouTube because they were really, really <laughs> bad. But um, as time progressed, I got incrementally better. Um, and needless to say, eight years from then, I'm still kind of making my way up. Um, so really my journey was all based around, um, like pushing myself and guiding my own learning because in middle school, there wasn't really any like, uh, film or TV or like digital media program that I could kind of get into. Um, so it was really just kind of taking my uh, Sony Handycam that I got for Christmas one year, uh, Windows Movie Maker, and making something. Um, and I did that for a couple years um, until I got uh, the chance to interview with Douglas Anderson School of the Arts uh, here in Florida um, for their cinematic arts program. <clears throat> and uh, either they loved what they saw or they pitied me and said, this kid needs help. <laughs> and uh, I, I got in. So we went and um, uh, went through the whole onboarding process there, um, spent four years there, made a short film called After the Fall, which is now sitting at about 475,000 views on YouTube, I think it is. Wow. Um, uh, it's made its profit back just from ad revenue, um, about 150%, so best school project ever. Um, <laughs> and um, as of 2019, 18, 19, something like that, um, we got greenlit by Alignment Entertainment to turn that into a feature film, uh, which is now in production, uh, currently on hiatus due to coronavirus, but we're looking to start that back up relatively soon. And um, the, the game plan for that is to get it on Netflix or Amazon or something of that nature. So um, definitely a lot of things in the pipeline on that, but um, it's looking so like so far it's looking really good. We've got a, a friend of mine over actually in the UK. He, he works at Pinewood. Um, he was on Rise of Skywalker uh, and things wow. and things like that. So we, we got him on board to help us out. And um, uh, our main editor is also here in Florida. So we're kind of building this the, this international post production team uh, to just make this thing the best that it can be. And um, I'm really really happy with how it's looking so far. That sounds awesome, and I'm really excited for you. Did you, um, is this after the fall? Could you tell a bit more about what, what kind of, um, storyline it is or. Yeah. So, so, um, I can't really dive into the feature film without kind of talking a little bit about the short film itself. Um, so the whole idea came about, uh, actually my second year of high school and it was this concept based upon the psychology of someone, uh, within a zombie apocalypse, uh, post-apocalyptic world and kind of how um, someone's thought processes and um, behaviors would evolve naturally within that kind of an environment. And so the story of the short film follows Alexa, who is a survivor of this um, apocalypse, and she has been surviving on her own for a little over a year. 
um, without having seen any other humans or people. So she's, she's been living in isolation for this entire time. Uh, then one day she basically wakes up, there's an explosion in the distance and she goes to investigate. Um, when she does, she finds another human, uh, her name's Carla, and they kind of go about this little journey together trying to find a, uh, a safe house or a quarantine zone that, that, that's been set up. Um, so for Alexa, her whole perspective is based around this idea of, of isolation and the value of um, what it means to be human. Um, and spoiler alert for the short film, but I, I still highly recommend you check it out, is um, Carla is revealed to be bitten and infected. So she begins to turn and then Alexa has to make the choice of, do I let her turn into this thing that will ultimately try to kill me or do I put her out of her misery right now? So. She makes the choice to uh, go ahead and pull the trigger, and that has a profound traumatic uh, effect on her. And throughout the course of the feature film, we look into that a little bit deeper and how that impacts her ability to function in an environment where there are other humans that eventually come come into the light, um, and those humans are also trying to kill her. So So from her perspective, she kind of suffers from this uh, trauma of every time she has to kill another person, even if it's t- to protect herself and people she cares about, it's just like she's killing Carla all over again. Yeah. And so she has to learn to overcome that over the course of the short, or sorry, over the course of the feature film. Um, and so we just kind of take on this this psychological journey of this character um, and, and, and the characters around her um, within this greater uh, dystopian post-apocalyptic environment. You know, it's um, it's interesting timing to have something with isolation and uh, <laughs> a spread of some kind of disease. Oh <laughs> yeah, you, was that intentional or was that just a coincidence? <laughs> well, um, th- this is going to be probably a very bad thing to say, uh, but I do think that it's um, uh, the, the 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 little joke that we've been saying is that the coronavirus has become a viral marketing campaign um, for the film. <laughs> But um, yeah, like we, of course, we didn't plan on, on on having to combat the the effects of the coronavirus and its its spread across the world um, during production. Um, but it's just been an inevitable uh, challenge that we've had to face, and, and thankfully, we're we're looking to overcome that. Um, it, it, it has been rough. It has been hard trying to uh, facilitate everything and keep everything organized throughout this whole time. Um, just given like the severity and the gravity that it has had on the world. Um, so like with the film industry and instituting the whole like six feet masks, everything like that on set, um, it's going to provide a uh, additional strain on a, the, the, the budget of the film, but then also it's going to provide a, a, a new dynamic that has to be overcome um, both on set and in um, preparation for production. Um, but at the end of the day, to protect the people that are on the project and to protect our cast and crew um, and, and, and their families, we have to abide by that. And that is something that is very important to me. Yeah, the, um, this whole situation has affected different industries in different ways, as well as the film industry. But I ha- correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard recently that um, production in the animation industry is actually increasing um, over this time because people can just like do animations without having to go into set and things like that. Oh yeah. So, 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 um, while like live action production, so your, your Marvel movies, your DC movies, your big studio blockbusters, um, while all of those are either being postponed because theaters are closed or are not being produced because of the virus and everything. Um, animation has been, uh, becoming more and more popular. Um, but when you look at the, the indie world as well, um, we're, we're seeing, or at least from what I've been seeing, is that there's a lot of like what we call no budget, which is just basically anything that's made for like very, very small, small budgets that people like me can afford for, for the time being. Because um, like low budget in Hollywood, that you're, you're looking at maybe $30 million. Um, so so that's, that, that, that's the kind of dollars that they're, that they're talking. Um, but for the majority of, of content creators, that kind of money is, is unavailable. So we've been having to find new ways to create content amidst this whole thing. 
Um, but what I've actually been seeing is a lot of um, indie filmmakers are doing like what they call quarantine content, um, which or quarantine short films. Um, and, and there's actually been a lot of like quarantine slash lockdown film festivals that have been springing up uh, virtually across the, the globe, actually, um, to accommodate these new um, films that people either make by themselves or with their roommates that are all like centric to one location, which is typically the household or the apartment that they live in, um, while also trying to to tell a story within that context. Um, so I've actually had a couple people approach me during the whole um, uh, coronavirus lockdown to to discuss and, and consult on scripts and films that they were working on. Um, and, and while the majority of them were your psychological thriller, horror film, murder mystery kind of stuff, um, I did get a couple um, interesting dramas that kind of came into play. Um, I don't know how many of them actually got filmed or made, but um, some of the ideas were, were were pretty cool and pretty interesting to see given the overall state of everything. So is there a particular genre that you prefer to be involved in? Uh, so for me, I find that my, my niche is, is anything that is kind of that, that gritty psychological, um, some action elements. I mean, I'd, I'd like to get some, some bigger action elements in the future. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I've, I've, a lot of my work has been compared to that of uh, Christopher Nolan uh, who you might know from like the Dark Knight uh, trilogy. Um, his his latest film, Tenet, is is due out in theaters in the near future, but we don't know exactly when that is. But I'm gonna go see that in IMAX. Um, so Christopher Nolan, uh, Matt Reeves, who um, a lot of people will know from the upcoming uh, Batman uh, film with Robert Pattinson, um, but uh, he also did the uh, installments of the the. Uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War of the Planet of the Apes. Um, and then also Gareth Edwards, who most people will know from Rogue One and Godzilla. So would you say you're, you'd like to also be involved in directing Batman? Batman, I, I don't think I could do Batman, um, but definitely Star Wars. I, I'd, I'd love to do a Star Wars film. Is eventually. that your, um, would you say out of all the kind of TV series and films out there, Star Wars would be like the, the dream? I've actually already written the script, but uh, you know, since I don't own the IP, it's just got to be a fan film sitting um, on my desk collecting dust right now. <laughs> what does it take to actually? Because um, I know there's there's kind of this thing about having that big break. So, what does it take to go from whatever level you're at to then reach that next level in Hollywood or the film industry? So, so the idea of, of the big break is actually an interesting concept, I, I think. Because um, I, I, I remember I was scrolling through Instagram one day and I saw this quote pop up and it was something along the lines of, uh, it takes like 15 years to create an overnight success. Um, and then when you look at some of the talent that has now become more prominent in our time um, and, and you look at where they started, it's like it's taken like so long for them to reach the level of, hey, I know that name. Um, cause like one of the more, uh, famous examples that, that I can think of is, uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Um, most people will know him, uh, from Breaking Bad. He was also in, um, uh, the Mandalorian in, in, in the final episode or two. Oh, Gus Fring. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so he actually got his start or when I first found him, sort of was on the NBC show revolution, which was also kind of that, uh, post-apocalyptic, uh, power goes out blackout kind of, uh, series. Um, unfortunately it only lasted for two seasons, but I really enjoyed it at the time cause I was like 12 or 11 or something like that. And it was really cool. Um, but seeing him start there and then kind of just like seeing what he was in as time progressed. So like I saw him in a couple episodes of uh, once upon a time, which was on ABC. Um, and then seeing him in Breaking Bad, he was in the trailer for Destiny, the the video game um, by Bungie, or yeah, it was it was, it was Bungie. Um, and then now he's been in like Mandalorian. Um, we've been seeing him in a couple more uh, feature films lately. Um, so it's been really interesting seeing him start on something that was kind of like ambiguous, like Revolution, and then climbing to something that is like like you say, the Mandalorian. It's like oh my god, like I, lo I love that show. Mm -hmm. um, 
so being able to see him climb that over the course of the past, like I think it's only been what eight years, nine years since Revolution premiered. Um, it's been really cool to see that. Um, and similarly, um, f- looking at where, like, say, a person like me is right now, kind of not not in the beginning stages, but not necessarily even close to NBC Revolution level. Um, it's kind of been a matter of just learning more, continuously learning. Um, the key to being a good producer is knowing what you don't know. Um, so just continuously learning, continuously forcing yourself to grow um, and only taking on projects that will force you to level up in, in one way or another. Um, and, and I noticed that as soon as I started doing that, um, my career started to uh, shoot off exponentially because um, for a time I was making like a short film every couple weeks and it was like, cool but where's the money coming? Mm. And then I was like, okay. Um, I, I then kind of in my freshman year of college, um, I started to think like, okay, like I want to try my hand at doing a feature film or like a series or something that was like a little more like large scale. Um, so I wrote the the scripts for after the fall, which was actually originally going to be a, uh, a series. Um, and then just different events played out and, and that didn't work out. So we had to convert it into a feature film um, as time went on. But uh, during my freshman year of college, I met a gentleman by the name of Thomas Curry, and he pitched me his idea for a uh, vampire series. And, uh, and I, he, he knows this, and, and we joke about it now. But when I first heard the pitch, I was like, okay, vampire show, it's either going to be um, something that's like overly romanticized, goth, like Twilight, or it's going to be something that doesn't necessarily take itself seriously, like Underworld. Um, so I was like, okay, great. But I was like, it's, it's a chance. I'll, I'll read the script. And as I was reading it, I was like, this is really, really good. And it's very, very topical for the time because it deals with a lot of um, elements and uh, pieces of class violence and race violence um, and things of that nature. So I was like, okay, like, like this is something that I can get behind. And um, over the course of my freshman year of college, we uh, basically went through the aspect of, of, of pre-production, getting everything ready, um, planning everything, casting everyone, getting our crew together, getting our locations, um, and things like that. And um, during my so- what, what would have been my sophomore year, because I only stayed um, for one semester out of the two, uh, got my associate's degree from Florida State and uh, left early. Um, and then for what would have been my second semester, I just drove uh, out to Tallahassee from Jacksonville. So I was about three-hour drive that I made every weekend um, and we just shot all the way through I believe it was April and um, we're we, 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 we we've been in post-production for a little over a year now and um, we're nearing its completion and we're hoping to have that done um, for release in October. It sounds exciting hopefully at that point um, things have settled I mean things are settling down now anyway the situation unless a second wave comes but we can hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> Um, I've always, I've always wondered what, cause in your line of work, a certain degree of creativity is needed and inspiration too. And I was wondering where you can draw that from and what other attributes or skills would make a really good producer or director. So, so directing and producing, um, you can do both, but a, as you start to grow higher and higher, you typically find that less and less. I'm not sure like a JJ Abrams or, or a Steven Spielberg, like top a list, um, Typically on the, the indie uh, aspect, you'll find that most of the producers are the ones that bring in the money. Um, so really you can be a good producer if you have money um, or you can, or, or from the aspect of um, uh, connections as well. Cause like say that um, I'm working on a film and uh, I don't know, Billy Joe wants a person to play a, blonde like mid late 20s um like actress that's quickly rising in fame and then it's like oh hey i know margot robbie it's like okay cool i'm gonna see if i can line this up and then it's, it's things like that that you can um utilize as a producer that may not necessarily be a a skill set but um connections or uh, resources that you have that you can lend to a production of a certain uh, type um, but typically producers um, that are more attached to the project from a management and development perspective, um, organization is going to be key. 
um, you got to be highly organized, particularly when um, money starts to roll into it from investors and from outside sources. Um, and then just a matter of uh, communication. If, if, if communication falls through, just like in any other business model, um, that, that project is, is going down. Um, then if you don't know who your audience is, like just like anyone in, 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 in the content creation world, you got to know who your audience is, um, who you're making the film for. Um, oftentimes you, you don't need to be like hyper specific, like, okay, are like males age 25 from, uh, Wisconsin. That, that is our target demographic. You, 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 you don't want that specific. Um, but just, just kind of that, 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 that target, target demographic that, that, that you're building the content for. Um, so like, for instance, with this vampire show, we know that the predominant target audience is going to be, um, college students based in the Southeast. Um, being that the film was created or the, the series was, was pr uh, produced um, in Florida and Georgia. Um, so we know that we've got a like grassroots buzz kind of coming in there. Um, but we also know that we can play well with uh, college students um, just about everywhere in the United States. Um, predominantly males uh, within their age range of 18 to about 30. Um, so kind of knowing just like the, the, that, that general demographic uh, will help. Um, any producer that is uh, trying to guide a production forward. Um, but then from a director's standpoint, you always got to have a vision. Um, a director without a vision is useless. They are just another person that is on set trying to make sense of everything else, just like everyone else on set. But because um, like when you're on set and you're directing, you are the, the creative lead, you are the visionary, you are the leader that everyone's going to look to for um, direction. Um, so you you got to know what you're doing and what you want. And then at the end of the day, you also need to know how to communicate that to the different departments. Because um, one thing that I found that has benefited me as a director is that I'm able to communicate well with my actors. I'm able to communicate, like to, to speak their language. Um, I'm able to speak the language of the DP and the audio department and, and pretty much every other uh, department and, and individual on set. I mean. Of course, there's just going to naturally be a little bit of um, disconnect, like on certain things. But when ninety percent of ninety percent of the time, when you can speak the language of the other departments, um, things are going to move faster. Um, you're going to save time between takes, and you're going to be able to communicate your vision much more clearly. Um, so, anyone that wants to be a director, I would highly recommend you learn how to speak the languages of the other departments. Um, so that way you can communicate your vision clearer and more effectively uh, for the benefit of the project. It's beautiful, man. Um, so you're basically the leader in the film industry for your specific kind of role, right? Right. Um, the thing is I've noticed whenever anyone, me, you, whoever gets involved in some kind of um, practice or art, you start to have a better appreciation for it. And you notice things other people wouldn't notice. For example, like in my field, before I got into coaching, I wouldn't even like be able to observe it was happening. Whereas since I've been in it, for example, the day I was on Netflix and I was watching this like Tony Robbins um, seminar thing. Oh yeah. And when he was like carrying out his work, I was observing everything he was doing and being able to identify what he was doing because I've now been involved in that same field. So I know for you, for example, if I'm, watching a TV show or a movie, I'm just going to like, I'm just going to be engrossed in it and just kind of like going with the flow. And I might see like the reviews on like Russian Tomatoes, IMDb, whatever, and just like disagree with the critics or whatever. But I feel like you might have a different kind of um, lens now when you watch any kind of film or TV. So what is that like? So it, it, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> um, and anyone, at least, at least that, that I've spoken to, uh, that that makes films can can attest to this is once you really kind of dive in and, and make that first film for yourself you're always looking at other like other films other movies and, and shows and whatnot through 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 a different lens and um, basically what that is is it's no longer like I cannot now just sit and watch a movie and be like story that's it it's like like it like it's like okay so how do they get that shot where they're doing the, like in, um, what was it? Uh, the new Chris Hemsworth movie on Netflix, Extraction, how they have like the, 
two minute long or whatever it is the or 20 minute long i, I forget the uh one shot action sequence it's like like oh my god how do they do that and then you go and you look at the the behind the scenes and you see how like the director literally strapped himself to the front of the car with the camera and you've got the director on the hood of the car with the camera and they're going through and doing everything and it's like Oh my God. <laughs> so it, like, like it, it, it's always asking yourself, how do they do that? Why do they do that? Why is in like in Shutter Island, um, there, there's one scene where um, Leo is talking to one of the other patients at the, um, I forget what they call it, like the asylum or whatever. And Mark Ruffalo's character is sitting off to the side. And, and what Scorsese, uh, Scorsese does is he places security guards at um, like in frame behind Leo and behind the, um, the asylum patient, but not behind Mark Ruffalo's character because first, I mean, this is gonna be a spoiler alert for anyone that hasn't seen the movie, but um, the whole basis of the movie is wrapped around this idea that um, Leo's character's reality is like, isn't right. Like it's, it's not real. He, he is an, um, in, uh, a patient in the asylum himself. And it, it's this whole ruse to try to get him to realize that. But um, basically within this scene, what Scorsese is doing is he's cluing us off to that fact because when you have the security guard behind the, uh, the patient and the security guard behind Leo, you can make that connection. But then when we look at uh, Mark Ruffalo's character off to the side, there's no security guard. So it's like, Subtle things like that, it's like, okay, well, why is that happening? Why are we seeing this? Why is the director making this choice? And then, of course, as time progresses and the movie goes forward, it's, it's revealed and it's like, oh my God, that's why, that's why they did that. That makes sense. Oh my God. And your mind's just blown when it's pulled off, like, smartly and intelligently. Um, and it's also like, like uh, with Inception, right? Um, I mean, granted, I, I still haven't, like... <laughs> Like I, I still haven't grasped the the whole like complexity of it, but um, we always see Leo's character with uh, the the top. But when we look at it even deeper, and, and after repeated viewings, um, and also someone pointed out to me on a message board somewhere um, <laughs> that that Leo's totem it, that that tells him when he's in a dream and when he's not is actually his wedding ring. But it's like on first viewing, you're not going to see that. It, 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 it's looking like like it's just building such intricacy into like when the director is able to build that kind of intricacy into the world of the film and into what we see on screen like it just makes the the, the film the story and the message of said film um just that much more like in depth and and, and again when the director does, does it right it just blows your mind wait how is it his wedding ring so so um basically whenever he's in a dream world um i i, I believe um he'll have it on and then when it's real he'll have it off i, I it, it's been a while since since i've seen like the breakdown um but yeah like, like it's one of those things that that takes a, re a repeated viewing and i mean for me someone actually like pointed it out to me and was like hey it's not what it's not what it looks like and i was like what and so i watched it again i was like holy shit <laughs> That's the thing when you said about the security guard and with this as well sometimes when I'm watching a film I might notice something but it's hard to sometimes tell if it's like an intentional thing that's been done or it's just right. like a little blip or mistake that didn't kind of correct so it's um, in terms of like intentional directing like that it's definitely a skill to spot um, but as you said it sometimes takes like a few viewings to actually um, <laughs> recognize that kind of thing but then that, that means that with a lot of like it's a maybe like clever directing um it's gonna actually go amiss with a lot of people who view the film anyway because they're not going to be able to actually identify it oh yeah no like it, it like a lot of times it will just kind of go over the casual viewer's head um but then when someone does point it out like years later like, like with the wedding ring it's like oh my god like it just brings you right back to it and you makes you want to watch it again to like look for that specific thing um Cause like like there there, there was one uh, little thing that that I saw online, and um, uh, it was about Lilo and Stitch. Funny enough, and so um, like everyone thinks that Lilo is just her name, but when you look at look at it a little bit deeper, 
Um, someone pointed out that Lilo uh, in, 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 in Pigeon, which is the like native Polynesian language kind of slang language that they uh, speak in, on the islands, is Lilo means lost. And when you look at it, it's like the, the family unit of Lilo and Stitch, Lilo, lost, Stitch, to put back together. Wow. It's like, what? Okay. I <laughs> learned something new today. <laughs> so it's like, I saw that, I was like, how many times have I seen that movie? How long have I been alive? <laughs> so it's like, wow. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it's, it's just like things like that, 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 that make a film or that, that add that depth to a film. It, like when you, when you're making films and, and, and you do it so much, like you can no longer just see a movie at face value. It's like, like, it's always, Oh, how did they get that shot? What does this color mean in this context? What does this, this camera movement mean? What does, uh, why is this line repeated or something like that? Like, like just different things like that, that kind of like, get 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 the filmmaker's mind just buzzing it's like why why is it why this choice so does that mean you actually just can't enjoy a movie anymore well i mean it, the the enjoyment itself just kind of evolves because it's like i mean I, I like i i loved um uh, avengers infinity war oh my god like yeah. like uh, arguably was there a lot of like intelligent like scorsese level christopher Nolan level directing to it i mean sometimes yeah yeah like like because like being able to tie everything in from the past 10 years of marvel films or whatever it was um there's a certain degree of of intelligence that is needed to pull that off but it's like the film knew that its target audience was the people that it had been um like the audience that had been that it had been building for 10 years that they're just going to go see because it's marvel for the most part um so it's like movies like that are still like really, really great to, to watch. And, and, and I like, I love them. I enjoyed the Marvel films. Um, but it's like, it's, it's just a different, a different demographic that, that they cater towards than say Christopher Nolan's inception. I've seen a lot of um, comments on like social media or like forums online and things about how um, with like the film industry, Marvel isn't necessarily recognized um, in terms of like some like awards and things like that. Um, maybe because, I don't know, there is some kind of uh, what, prestige in the industry, right? With certain things. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so um, what's, uh, what's your take on that? So, so I mean, it, it, it all kind of depends on, on, on what you're going for, right? Because it's like you, you've got your studios. And, and I mean, prestige is one thing, but dollars can also be a, a different thing. Right, because it's it's like you look at Christopher Nolan, who, in my opinion, is a phenomenal director. I take lots of inspiration from him um, and his work. And it's like you you look at the the things that he's done cinematically. I don't think the man has any Oscars to his name, but but when you hear his name, it's like, okay, like I know that name. Actually, I'll, I'm gonna see if he has any because I don't think that he does. Um, and if he doesn't, then I definitely think that he should um okay he's been nominated for oscars but he's never won any so it's like when i think the um, biggest outrage was like leo dicaprio i just remember everyone yes. was talking about that one year then he finally yes. got his revenants but whether yeah. that was because of the outrage or not i don't know <laughs> I, I mean the the i think that debate is still being had in, in different places um I mean, Leo, I think, is one of the greatest actors of our time. And I, I definitely think that more than just that one Oscar was, was warranted. But, um, I mean, I, I'm not the Academy, so I cannot speak for them. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, so, so Leo's a great actor. Christopher Nolan's a great director. There's a lot of people out there that are making phenomenal films and, and like, really cinematic pieces of work. But they're not winning those kinds of awards but then at the same time um for different people the the awards aren't needed right like um a lot of people that, that i know are, are making films just because they enjoy it and the awards and the like the the fame ultimately just come in time um which is kind of what i've been doing and what i kind of continue to aspire to do um, I started off, just like I said, doing the Backyard Nerf War films, and then that eventually grew into a short film that made almost $2,000. Um, 
then that evolved into a vampire show that is now potentially going on prime in the fall. Then we've got after the fall of the feature film, which was um, like a, a sequel continuation of the short film and whatever comes after that, like it's it just continuing to build over time. And, and all I've just been doing is going in and saying, Hey, I'm going to make the best thing that I can make. Um, but going back to your question about the whole prestige thing, right. It's, it, it, it's, it's all like, are, are you, do you make films because you, you want to, do you make films because you want to make money? I mean, if, if you're making films because you want to make money, you're in a bad, bus- bad yeah. business to do that. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> um, at the end of the day, right. It's like, it's like as different directors and different producers and different writers find their, their niche and their style and, and their audience. Um, it's all about like the awards come into play. The fulfillment comes into play. The box office comes performance comes into play and it's like, okay, what, what direction do you want to take your career? And, and sometimes they can overlap and, and, and I've seen it happen. Um, but then there are other times where they, they don't quite overlap. Um, but ultimately my, my goal is to have money and prestige overlap eventually. So, um, yeah. The thing is all you, all that is really in control is the love you can have for your arts and the service you provide. And the ones that do make it to that greatness are the ones that are in love with their service and focused on that as opposed to just chasing the money, because that's not really going to actually work out in the long term, in my opinion. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, um, yeah, when you were talking about, it's not just Leo DiCaprio, there's plenty of other like great oh, yeah. actors, directors, producers, whatever that they haven't been recognized. But one that came to mind was, um, James McAvoy and split. Yep. I thought, I thought that was just like incredible. I just, I've never seen anything like that done before. I don't know if you have, but it just, no, because what was it like 21 or 40 something? I forget the number, something but it was like ridiculous. just some, yeah, it was like, all of these personalities portrayed by one person in the span of two hours. It's like, wow. And, and, and I, don't, I don't even think that he got nominated. <laughs> I'm like, that, that actually that, 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 that's another one I'm going to look up right now. James McAvoy. Let's see. Yeah, he was nominated. Were nominated for a split. Uh, let me see. So he was nominated, or sorry, he okay. So he was nominated at different different festivals, like not not like Golden Globes or um, the Oscars for um, Split, but just like the Hawaii Film Critics Film Critics Society gave him Best Actor, but it's like there's no Golden Globes, no mm. Oscar for it it's like wow <laughs> i mean it's hard to even say where that kind of control lies anyway like i don't really understand what goes on behind the scenes with it in terms of how the how it's decided really um you probably have more of an understanding of it um well i i i wish i did <laughs> um because l- l- like there's obviously a, a little bit of, of a political hand in it um Cause like lately we, we like after I forget what year it was, uh, but it was like, like three or four years ago, there was a whole like hashtag Oscars so white or something like that. Yeah, Cause there, there was really no diversity in the nominations. But ever since then we've seen like more increasing numbers. And I think it was actually the year after that, that um, Moonlight won best picture. So that there, there in, in the whole, um, I think, I think they called it envelope gate or something or Oscar gate where it was like the, they didn't announce La La Land and then everybody goes up to the stage to speak. And then it's like, no, 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 wait, 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 there's moonlight. And then they swapped it out. But, um, um, so th- that, that, that was kind of funny to see live on television. Um, but at the same time, it's like, like there, there there's definitely some sort of like political hand, I think in there. Um, <clears throat> which I mean, ultimately the, the, there, there's always going to be a political hand in everything. Um, but my advice is to just go out and like to any filmmaker is to just go out, make the film that you see in your head and see in your heart, make that, make it the best it can be. And then take the chance and send it out. And if it goes somewhere, then, then like, then it goes somewhere. If not, make another one. This might be, um, this question might take a bit of thinking. 
maybe not. But on your since you started this journey in directing and producing, and um, you know where you're headed, right? But what what kind of insights have you said? Have you do you think would be the most kind of breakthroughs for you? Like what breakthroughs have you had along this journey? Uh, so for me, the the biggest thing, or yeah, the, the the biggest thing that I've struggled with and sort of continue to struggle with to this day is confidence. Um, and, and when I say that, I don't mean it's like, oh, like, I, I, I don't know if I can make a good film. Is it's, it's, it's more of this aspect of seeing what else is out there in the market and being like, okay, how do I match that competitively from a market standpoint? Because like, I can go out and make it like a great, like a great film, but is it going to, like, is the market going to accept it? And, and things like that. And I mean, there's, there's so much research that you can do um, that can like help guide you. But at the end of the day, it, it like the market changes almost daily. Um, I mean, yes, you've got your trends and things like that, but like one of the big, um, big things that we've actually kind of been going back and forth with on after the fall of the feature film is, um, is the market going to accept a, a zombie apocalypse, post-apocalyptic, drama thriller kind of thing um in the wake of the coronavirus outbreak like is the market going to move towards it or because it's topical and we can relate to that to an extent now or is it going to move away from it because people are tired of seeing all that all over the place and um there's been a little bit of early um confirmation that it's moving in in our favor um from from uh one of our producing partners and their connections with uh foreign distributors um, the, the market is looking to take a turn in that, um, and like, again, in our favor. Um, but even still with that, there's the aspect of, okay, now is this film going to, um, stand up or, or be able to play ball with say person B's like dystopian post-apocalyptic film. Um, but kind of the way that I've kind of, um, been able to progress through that is, is, is the aspect of just kind of focusing on myself and, and, and focusing on, on my own grass, what, whether or not the next person's grass is greener kind of thing. Um, and, and a perfect example of that is, is when I was in high school um, making the, the short film after the fall. Um, the way that my high school's curriculum worked is that every year the seniors um, of the film department would pitch an idea to receive about a thousand dollars of department funding to get made. Um, and so everyone else kind of pitched your typical like Wes Anderson, um, like very indie uh, eclectic kind of films, um, which is great. Like I, I, I really enjoy Wes Anderson. So it's like, that's all great. But then I come in with freaking zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Let's like, like, like let's uh, go ahead and make that. And then um, I, I didn't expect to get chosen, but it did. And so while I was making it, um, it was I, I was also kind of just keeping an eye on on the others, seeing how they were doing, um, and, and things like that. And um, they, theirs were all like looking really great and things like that. But I didn't know much about the story. I didn't know much about the writing. Didn't know much about how it was going in during production, things like that. Um, but then as the journey progressed and we reached the, the, the end game, so to speak, um, I, I still hadn't seen a lot like a, a completed product from anyone. I just knew what my film was, was like. Mm -hmm. And um, at, at the end of, of senior year, there's the uh, showcase of films that, that, the, that the department puts on. And at the end of that showcase, they show the um, like two or three majors that they selected to, to fund. Um, and, and typically the, the, uh, top dog or the, the, the high prize spot is, is, is the closing spot. The last one that we see for the night. And, um, for the past three years, um, of, of, of my career, of my high school career, um, there had been one student that was in, in my class that would consistently beat out everyone else in end showcase, like every single uh, semester or whatever. Um, but then that, that final year we watched it. And, and, and it, it, it was a pretty solid film. I mean, I enjoyed it, but um, after the fall, it ended up closing. So it, it was just kind of like, okay, maybe, maybe I did something. And then about three or four months later, um, 
because I had submitted the film to festivals um, back when it was completed. And then after like two or three months, you'll find out whether or not it got into, it got into the festivals that you submit it to. And I had submitted it, submitted it to an Academy Award qualifying film festival in California called the Holly Shorts Film Festival. And um, when, when I submitted it, I was just like, you know what, I'm going to see, see how it plays with, 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 with the big dogs. Um, not really expecting anything. And then um, one morning over the summer, I get an email and I look at it. It's just like, oh, thank you for submitting to Holly Shorts Film Festival, dot, dot, dot. And whether or not you get in or, or get denied, pretty much every single film festival letter begins that way. And I just thought that, that, that I was like, okay, it's going to be another denial. And I look it up mm-hmm. and I open it. It's like, congratulations, your film's going to screen at the Chinese theater in three weeks. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, like, like I, I, I screamed. Um, my dad kind of poked his head out of his office. He's like, are you okay? And I was like, just sitting on the ground. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And like, I started calling everybody that had been on the project to tell them no one believed me at all. They were like, you're pulling my leg. No, no, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> and then I was like, no, this is a real thing. Um, but yeah, so like that happened. And, and, and we, of course, went out to the festival and I started meeting other filmmakers. Um, one of them actually ended up being in the running uh, to get nominated for the Academy Award for Best Short Film. Um, and so I got to meet and connect with other filmmakers that were a little bit higher up in the industry um, and kind of like learn their stories, learn kind of their journeys and, and, and learn new ways that I could um, level up myself. And through that, I learned like that if I can make a film like this in high school and it gets into this kind of a festival, it's like, I felt like I could do anything and, and just continuing forward from there. Like it was, like okay, how how now? How strategically do I level level up from there? How do I take that next step in the right direction? Because like you can shift back and forth um, on, on the scale of your career, at, like as the time goes on. But it's always like okay, how do I um, get better? How do I take on a bigger project? How do I raise the budget? How do I um, hit more film festivals and things like that? And so um, it was out of that that experience that the whole um, aspect of feeling confident to take on the vampire series came into play. And it was after, and it was after that, that I felt confident to do after the fall of the feature film. And then just now that we're six days out from um, finishing the thing, it's like, even after the coronavirus, it's like, I feel like I can take on almost any kind of project now and um, make it successfully. But of course, at the very end of the day, it, there's the whole aspect of market acceptance um, that also has to be contended with. Um, but I, I also believe that a film that res- that, that um, resonates with the, with an audience will still continue to go far. Um, it, it may not go as far as a Marvel film that's got millions and millions of dollars put behind its marketing campaigns, but um, I, th- I think it'll still go far if, if it connects with your audience and, and stirs something inside. As you said earlier in the podcast, I can tell you've got a growth mindset and you're always looking to level up. But the fact, it must have been quite a profound feeling um, when you had that, that level of success from high school and you knew that if it's starting here, like, where can I go? This can really be exponential. So it must Absolutely. have been, um, you must have had that moment of reflection where you just thought like, Holy shit. Yeah. Like it was just like, it was actually on the flight from Jacksonville to California that, that year I was like, I'm going to California guys. I'm going to Los Angeles. This is happening. <laughs> like it, it didn't click until I landed and I saw like the Hollywood sun and everything like that. Like just, just like you see in the movies. But um, yeah. So like, like that was that. And then um, back in this, this past November um, after I left college i was able to go and attend the american film market which is a uh, basically a global um, networking and sales market for um, completed projects and where also um, unproduced scripts can go to receive or to find uh, funding and producers and things like that Um, so i was able to meet a bunch of other like more business-minded people in the industry because when you go to a film festival you're you're meeting the directors you're meeting the, the writers you're meeting the actors nine times out of ten um, you'll, you'll occasionally meet, meet like independent producers, um, which is really great. But when you go to the film market, you're almost always talking to producers and distributors, which are the ones that know their way around the money. 
um, in the industry and ultimately to to have filmmaking be a um, continuing source of either income or like a career you you ultimately have to learn how to uh, make money from it and then going to that that market um, for the 10 days that we went was phenomenal and I would not have been able to do that um, had I not left college early um, so it like because I, I know that there's also this big like do I go to film school do I not go to film school and um, for for me being that I got the education of, of, of the film like making process uh, through through my high school I, I didn't really ultimately need the um, the college experience of, of, of film school. Um, it's definitely a great place to go to learn and to, to grow and to network. Um, but at the end of the day, there's this other arena that, that you'll be um, like segmented from if you don't like go diving in head first. Cause I mean, you can network with people and things like that from, from college. But at the end of the day, um, if you don't know anyone that knows their way around money in the, in the film industry specifically, um, then it's going to be that much harder for you to uh, create your crew and, and to sign your cast for your next project. So one of those industries where um, a lot of actors, a lot of directors, producers, a lot of them who make it big or just make it at all, they don't even, they never went to a, a drama school or a film school or anything like that because it's just, Yes, there are some professions that do require degrees and certifications. Um, but a lot of them these days, like I think we're starting to move into that age where having a degree or a piece of paper is becoming, le becoming less important. Mm -hmm. um, I know it used to be a lot more important like many years ago. But for example, in, like, in coaching as well, it's not a regulated profession. You can get a certification. You can do courses to invest in your own personal development, which is great. But it doesn't make you a good coach. Right. And that's the kind of similarity I'd say between um, your your field and mine. Would you agree with that? Definitely, yeah. L l l like um, the the famous quote I, I believe it's from Tarantino is um, uh, "I didn't go to film school; I went to films." And and, and it's like it's true because it's like you're you're going to learn more by making mistakes, doing it yourself, than you will in the classroom setting. Um, and although the classroom setting is good for, for certain individuals um, and based on where you are in your career at that point in your life, um, like it, it can benefit you and, and I've seen it benefit people, but um, with just kind of the way that my own personal career has been going, it, it's like staying in school, staying in college um, was going to be a, a waste of time and a waste of money um, that I would actually like actually the amount of money that I would have spent if I stayed in college would exceed the amount of money that I have, that I will be have put into after the fall of the feature film and Deathless the Vampire series combined when both are completed or, or at least projected because of course budgets can fluctuate. But like just looking at that, it's like, are you going to get a piece of paper, which again, it can be beneficial or are you going to take the money, the time, the resources, the energy that you put there, and put it towards something that will ultimately bolster your career and your resume in this highly competitive, highly um, ambiguous profession. I've heard absolute horror stories of the fees American universities charge. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. And and then and then particularly with um, uh, some of the film programs that I've heard of and and and, and I have friends at, um, you you don't you don't get to keep the rights to anything that you make. So it's like you make it and they own it. So say for after the fall, the short film, had I made that in college through like a university program, I would not have been able to make the feature film and the money that the short film made, they would be keeping. I would not have received anything. Um, so it's like just kind of looking at that in and of itself, it's like that's, yes, that's the studio model. But at the same time, like in the studio model, if you're, like a bigger time director, you can negotiate points. So it's like, okay, if, if the film is making profit over X amount of time, then you can still make some money. Um, and and uh, if you, depending on, on the negotiation with uh, the script, you, you, you'd retain certain rights. It should that be agreed upon. But um, yeah, like, like, like almost every short film that I've made has either reappeared 
in my career at some point in time, either as a feature-length screenplay, as a series, as a book, or something like that. Like it's just the the IPs that I've been creating have continued to feed me um, creatively and and give me something to work towards um, as time has progressed. So for me, the ownership of that IP uh, so far has been um, something that, that that I've needed um, and, and that I wouldn't have been able to do had I gone to a film program. Um, I've always wanted to ask a filmmaker this, but um, from my, like, I'm, I'm a movie fan, right? Maybe an ignorant movie fan because I don't know everything, <laughs> everything about it that you do. But um, just from seeing what comes out, it seems like a lot these days there are a lot of um, remakes and a lot of things that just seem to be recycled from like 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever, and just um, capitalized on um, with big budgets just blow it up even more. Um, I was quite annoyed with Star Wars, actually, not going to lie, because uh, it just, I don't need to go into it. <laughs> but um, uh, It's okay. We, we, we all know it, it was just slight changes of the script from <laughs> episode four, five, and six. They just, slight tweaks. Rogue One was good, though. Rogue One was good. <laughs> okay, I agree with that. Rogue One was that, that, um, that scene at the end of Vader was just so epic. Yes, um, yes. But in your opinion, do you feel like it's, um, the industry isn't as innovative as it used to be because of this? <clears throat> The studio industry, I think, has, um, I don't think that it's lost innovation. And, and the reason that I say that is because if they had lost innovation, they wouldn't be making the kind of money that they are. Because um, it's like, you look at, like, at, like Avengers Endgame, right? That, that made billions of dollars at the box office. And so, it, but it was, what, what was it? It was a culmination of a reboot of comic, like, comic stories that were translated into film and built over the course of 10 or so years. Um, and like looking at Star Wars, I mean, yes, we have our argument over <laughs> for, uh, was it seven, eight and nine, but then you look at Rogue One and you look at Solo, even though nobody really asked for that one. Um, and like Mandalorian and things like that, like they're, they're building upon the universe and, and, and that both creatively and also looking at kind of the technology that, that they used in the Mandalorian as well. Um, that that all takes some some innovation to pull off, and I mean, although we're we're seeing um, more or less the same stories and the same characters repeat themselves on screen for eight or nine or ten times, i.e., Fast and the Furious. Um, <laughs> I, though I will say I, I enjoy the movies. I do. I do. Um, okay. They're a, a guilty pleasure of mine. I, I will go see number nine <laughs> in theaters. Um, um, yeah. So so it, like it's just the market trend for right now. And I think that although audiences say that they're fatigued, the, 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 the box office numbers speak for themselves. Um, when the box office was still open at coronavirus. Um, so like looking at things like that is it's like, if, if the studios weren't smart or weren't innovative, I don't think that they'd still be making the kind of money that they, that they are, even if they are just rehashing nineties and two thousand in early to mid two thousands nostalgia um in in different formats because i mean like when you look at disney and they're making like a live action lion king nobody asked for that i mean it it, it but it, it 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 didn't although it didn't perform well like ultimately i i feel that disney will ultimately still yield a profit from it eventually disney is um, just eating up everyone man <laughs> oh yeah like this did this for me like ultimately i think it's going to be disney versus amazon to see who 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 owns the, the majority of existence over time. The amount of like streaming services that are coming out now, like Apple TV, Netflix, yep. Disney Plus. I'm sure there's a few others out as well. Um, but it's uh, everyone's just jumping into this market. It seems to be very um, unpredictable. I don't know. It, it, it there's been conversation within the film industry um, a lot lately, and, and even over the past like I'd, I'd say what five or six years as to when when movie theaters will have their downfall. And I feel that the nails in the coffin are prepared now, given that coronavirus has shut down um, theaters. And I mean, ultimately I, I, I don't want to see them go because I, I love the experience of going into a movie theater and seeing it on the big screen and, and, and just feeling the sound and, and having that communal experience. Um, but when you look at the numbers and you look at kind of what's been playing out over the past like seven months or whatever, um, 
one of the most notable things that that has happened in the whole theater versus streaming service. Um, I guess we'll call it the, 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 the streaming wars as part of it um, is that when universal announced that it was going to put trolls Two out as a VOD release um, and kill its theatrical um, because of the coronavirus, um, they did something that was like not anticipated um, but it was also something new and, and innovative for its time. Um, cause there's never been really like a big studio film. I mean, granted trolls Two is a small studio film, but it, it's, it's still like universal. Um, but it, it's been it, like, we, we haven't seen it like a major studio like that put out a, a film straight to VOD. Um, really that, 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 that had that kind of marketing campaign behind it. Um, and I mean, I, I, I looked at the reports fully, but all I know is that um, it must have did well enough that they're going that Universal announced that's going to do a uh, dual release um, with its feature or with, with its future productions, um, going both theatrical and VOD. And when they announced that AMC, uh, I'm pretty sure it was AMC, announced that um, they were going to boycott Universal films and no longer show them in their theater chains, and. Um, because of that, like that's be- that's sort of started this whole rift in where things are going. Because like now we've got Netflix, um, and, and this year, like streaming films will be eligible for uh, Academy Awards. So that, like that that changes the game. So now so now you've got Netflix that is now basically fulfilling the role of, of a major studio um, in its own way versus say Universal and things like that. Um, but when um, uh, what's it called like you've you've got all of this content and all of, all of these these films and stuff that are getting made, um, like it's just going to be continuing to be an evolving dynamic that we have to keep an eye on um, because the day that f- movie theaters like profits are eclipsed by VOD, um, that'll be like the day that the that the coffin gets buried essentially. Um, so. And ultimately it changes the way that we make films. Um, Cause like when you look at it, right, you've got your, your feature films that, that are about two hours long that people will often more oftentimes than not, not want to sit down for that long, but yet they'll go and they'll watch seven one hour episodes of a series in, in a day um, and forget to eat and sleep and do everything like that. And they'll just go through that. So it's, but it's, it can be the same story, just how it's showed. Um, so those two things have a like a big impact on, on on how we as filmmakers will continue to tell stories into the future. Do you think it's inevitable that theaters will die out? I think eventually, hopefully not in my lifetime. Um, I, I think they will, um, but when they do, it's going to be also very interesting because when we look at the history of film, um, I want to say it was back in like the. 30s um there was this big deal where uh theaters or sorry studios owned theater chains like like we, we we didn't have our regal we didn't have our amc that were independent from universal and from warner brothers you had studios that would control the theater chains and they had a monopoly on distribution essentially and the u.s government came in and was like hey we, you got to break this up um or, or, or and, and stuff like that um so that that was the business model back then before the, the government stepped in but then when you look at where we're going now, you've got Netflix, which is basically operating as a studio for the most part, like they're making their own films, making their own shows, and they're controlling distribution. So at what point does the overlap of what happened in the past with studios and theaters repeat itself with um, like, streaming pl- uh, like streaming studios and streaming platforms? Um, so it's like, like looking at that, like, to me, that that's going to be an interesting uh, situation to see play out over the next couple of years, um, if, if history does repeat itself in that sense, or if it um, is circumvented or circumnavigated. You know, man, I've learned a lot more about um, filmmaking just from this one conversation. So I want to thank you for that. <laughs> hey, I appreciate you having me on. Like, I, I, like I, I could talk about this all day, but I, I, I know that you're a busy man, and I'm a busy man, and we, and we, and we both got things to do. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was great coming on, coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed, 
um, being able to share a little bit of, of my field with you and, and with the audience. So uh, definitely thank you for having me on. Likewise, man. I really appreciate your time. Um, where can we, if you were to say where you see Matthew Maniac in the next five years, what would you say? I would say expect, expect to see him sooner. <laughs> I like that answer. <laughs> Perfectly said. Well done. Thank um, you. Thank you. Where can people find you? Um, well, um, I, I can't say I'm a celebrity yet, but I can say that if you look me up on Google, I will pop up. <laughs> um, so uh, my website is www.matthewmaniac.com. Uh, so Matthew with two T's, Maniac, M-A-N-Y-A-K. Um, and then uh, just like, like I said, my, uh, that, that, that's my website. Um, I've got my own YouTube channel. So that's where I put a lot of my content. Um, uh, Alignment Entertainment is going to be uh, a company that I do a lot of business with uh, going forward. Um, that That's the production company that's going to be releasing Deathless, which is the vampire show. Um, and then my feature film, After the Fall, will be coming out um, ideally next year in 2021. Um, but if you want to follow the Instagrams, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, Camille, you're going to put this on YouTube, so I, I can just send you the links to that because I don't know what the Instagram.com slash XPQ question mark Z. It's like director double M, something like that, right? Yep. Yep. Um, my Instagram is, is director double M. That's also what people call me. Um, more often than Matthew, unfortunately, these days. But, <laughs> but hey, it's, it's, it's marketing, it's branding, it works. I'll take it. Exactly. Um, yeah, I'm going to put the links to all your socials and stuff in the description box so you guys can check it out there. Um, thank you so much for listening. Any questions? I'm on Instagram at the Ascension Coach and on Facebook at Kamura Um, I'll see you guys next week.